Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. Recently, I hosted a conversation with my colleague, Judy Elbers, I4CP's Director of Research Enablement. She shared insights from a toolkit she created earlier this year on holding leaders accountable for the employee experience. But before we get to that, did you know that I4CP has announced a great lineup of speakers for our next Practices Now conference, which will be held March 25th through the 28th, 2024 in Scottsdale, Arizona. Intended for HR leaders and with no vendors involved, this conference will feature HR authors such as Dave Ulrich, Charlene Lee, and Rob Cross, as well as senior HR leaders from Microsoft, AWS, IBM, City, Micron, Google, and more. To learn more or to register, just visit our website at i4cp.com forward slash conference. Okay, now for that discussion with Judy Elbers on holding leaders accountable for the employee experience. Why, thank you, Tom. Um, this is going to be uh an interactive call because what we're talking about today is one of those next practices that you mentioned earlier, Tom. It's a, it's a practice that is highly correlated to high market performing companies, but not very many people do it. And when I first joined I4CP in January, uh, as my job, by the way, is um, to do research enablement. Our research convinces you to do something. And this was one of the most compelling next practices that came out of our culture fitness research. So, so how do I do it? How do we provide the kind of enterprise-wide enablement that allows our, our members to pick up a toolkit and start implementing? Now, because on a webinar like today, some of you are members and some of you are non-members, what I'm going to talk about is things that I have learned about this practice and how it relates to an, to an overall culture renovation. But I'm going to do it in such a way that anything that I4CP has made public for the greater good of the community, you get just sort of a synthesized view of a lot of our different research. And in the notes that you'll receive um, at the end of today's call, um, what that page will be is in addition to being meeting notes, it'll be kind of a mini toolkit um, on its own. So, um, so no worries about taking notes or trying to remember or take screenshots between the deck and the meeting notes. You will walk away with a mini toolkit or if you're a member of the, the full toolkit experience. So let's get back to the next practice at hand. So we've done all kind, just years and years of research on corporate culture. And the idea that holding leaders accountable for the employee experience, the same way that they're held accountable for their business operational numbers, the same way they're accountable for revenue, for cost control, for margin, they should also be accountable for measures of the employee experience. We're going to talk a little bit more about what do we mean by this, why it matters, and then in the the toolkit itself will dive into really two parts of it. First, you probably need to build a business case if you're not doing this already, or if you're only doing it for one measure and you need to start doing it for more. And then second, what are the steps to implementation? Uh, so let's go on, Tom, to the next slide. And when I when I talk about holding leaders accountable for the employee experience, this, we don't often find numbers that are this high. The fact that people who do this are 18 times more likely 
to cultivate healthy cultures, like this is a really powerful next practice. And so by accountable, I mean, there is some sort of a tangible reward or consequence for your employee experience numbers. Um, by accountable, we mean it's tied to your performance review. It's tied to um, merit increases. It's tied to bonuses. It's tied to internal promotions. There's there's some sort of result um, that, it, that these metrics are tied to. Um, and then secondly, for employee experience, we will also get into what do we believe are the key culture metrics that determine an employee experience. Um, yeah, so, Judy, I, yeah. I can second what you said that that this 18x uh, variance between uh, you know organizations uh, it it really is rare to see something that large. We get excited when we see something that's 2x, 3x, 4x between say high performing organizations and lower performing organizations. But something as big as 18x that's really really striking. Absolutely, this comes from our the research that we published in early. 2023, um, our colleague Catherine Brecken um, published this report called Culture Fitness, and Zeta will put the, the link to that. Anyone, you'll all get the Culture Fitness brief um, as part of the meeting notes and the full reports available to our members. Um, but these are Judy's favorite highlights um, from our culture uh, renovation and culture fitness research. So um, let's talk about, so first of all, this practice is 18 times more likely to correlate with um, with culture fitness. Now, why does culture fitness matter? Because it is a predictor of long-term financial success. So high performance companies in those five measures that Tom mentioned are nearly six times more likely to have a very healthy culture compared to low performance organizations. I always feel like when we say we should be doing these people practices, we have to be armed with the research points to back it up and say, these are research driven practices we are recommended. They also make perfect sense. They make gut sense. Um, we have even, we can even go as far as to say that culture is a proxy for productivity. Uh, boy, was productivity a big buzzword in 2023. And we have actually found that culture fitness explains 19%. And again, Tom, you're the researcher. I'm not. I'm pretty sure that's a big number. 19% yes. of the variation among organizations' employee productivity. Yeah. Again, when we when we did this uh, analysis, Catherine in particular did this analysis, we were excited to find uh, 19% uh, variation being explained by by culture. Uh, that that's a, that's a big you know a lot of factors go into productivity, skills, um, you know, just various things that are unique to each organization, unique to moments in time. Um, but for one factor, like in this case, culture, to explain 19% of the variance in productivity, um, that's huge. It really is. I love having colleagues who do things like regression analysis and, <laughs> you know, then can come in and talk. Um, here's another one. This is not our stat, but but it also came out in Microsoft's Work Lab report this year, and it was just <laughs> absolutely amazing. Um, Microsoft's Work Lab found that each additional point of engagement that reported by employees, okay, so this is measurable, right? Um if employees report one additional point of engagement, it correlates with a $46,000 difference in market cap per employee. So, so we're not the only ones out there, you know, tying practices to market performance. There aren't that many people, but this, this Microsoft Work Lab report is also a really, really good one. Um, and I think this is the kind of stat that you bring to the C-suite, you bring to the business meetings um, when you talk about the, the criticality of our people practices. Yeah, it's these numbers, the, the, the X variance numbers from the previous several slides from our research or this concrete financial number from Microsoft that really takes something that can be, you know, at least initially something, a concept fairly squishy, like culture. What is its impact on productivity? Like you mentioned earlier, we all sort of get it and assume that it's that way. But if you have these kind of numbers and can build these into your business case um, for whatever initiative you're trying to push, um, then uh, it just goes a lot further with, say, your CFO and your CEO, obviously. I used to think that the research didn't exist just because 
I didn't know about it. Right. And I think when, especially during my practitioner career, um, we oftentimes look look around to each other in the organization. Um, and we're like, oh, if the research existed, somebody would know about it. Um, but yeah, we often don't. And so I've, I've just been amazed at how much research exists. And, and my job is to pull it together into a cohesive story um, that you can tell. All right. So um, I think this is our last research stat, but um, leaders, boy, we find this all over the place. I, you know, I could go on and on about all of the, all of the studies in which we find that leaders are the linchpin. Um, but this is where, so we, we already said that if you hold leaders accountable for employee outcomes, you're 18 times more likely to have a fit culture. Um, and all of that is a, is a proxy for productivity. But even just the direct correlation, not even going through culture fitness as a proxy, but the direct correlation, eight times more likely um, to hold leaders accountable for employee outcomes um, among those high performance organizations, that top quartile that we always run all of our data um, against. So there's your, there's your answer, Tom, to why it matters. And, um, and let's go on and move into um, how do you do it then? So, so our research proved you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is, if you're going to spend your time investing in a practice, this is a really good one um, to invest in. But in order to get there, and this is where we dive really deep and we talk to the people who have done this in real life, um, it's really a two-part, it's a two-part thing. Um, anyone who tries to just say, oh, in that case, for next year's performance appraisals, we're just going to tell everybody that they're accountable for this. Um, that is our recipe for um, losing trust for it's just that there's so many reasons why um, you can't just implement accountability. So um, we've divided the toolkit into two parts. First, there's the steps to build a business case. Second, there's the steps to implementation, because if you don't have executive agreement um, from the very beginning, um, you're you're in trouble. So we've talked about step one, why leader accountability matters. In step two, you decide what outcomes and what metrics we're talking about. Um, and we won't go on to the next slide yet, but we do have a list of those outcomes and metrics. Um, and then we've also found a number of a small number of high performing companies who have actually published their stories. And so um, we'll be talking about those high performing companies, but also if any of you on the call today do hold your leaders accountable for the employee experience, we wanna hear from you too. And that's why we've um, put together this Mentimeter. Um, so we'll talk about building the business cases, really these four things, um, building a really solid um, case for both. What is the research that supports this and where do we stand um, as a company? And then we'll get into the actual implementation steps. Um, we'll come back to that. So Tom, let's move forward. Building the business case, all right. So um, again, totally separate research from I4CP, but these are the culture metrics that we have found are the ones that make a difference. These are the ones that people track. We've got all kinds of data on you know, what these are, how to do them. But when we talk about holding people accountable and what do we mean by employee experience metrics, in talent acquisition, um, you know, there are metrics, and I'm actually going to I'm actually going to pull up my my toolkit and so and I'll talk to you about um, why in the toolkit and we'll put this in the in the notes as well. We talk about why detail and acquisition metrics matter. Um, what are some sample metrics? Um, we go through all of these acquisition attraction. Oh, that's I meant to say talent mobility. Um, Tom, instead of acquisition, but then talent development, retention, DEI, and well-being, all of these are parts of the employee equation. But the really interesting thing to me is that 
of all of these metrics, um, it was talent mobility that that often rose to the top in terms of, um, uh, let's see, it was rated in one of our studies, the most effective employee experience metric. And so what do I mean by talent mobility? Um, things like internal placement rate, internal movement rate, promotional rate, um, the quality of movement. Um, there's a lot that you can dig into on all of these things. And so I just want to let you guys know that um, if this is something that you want to dig into um, after the call, you want to try to do this, we'll make sure that we give you a really nice thorough list of what are some sample metrics for all of these things. Um, now that I've whetted your appetite a little bit, I think if I've memorized my slides, Tom, I think this is where we go to our first Mentimeter. Okay. Yeah, let's, let, let's interact with all of you. This is something we're doing new here at, uh, at Next Practices Weekly. Um, so let's give this a go. You can either use the QR code uh, to get into Mentimeter uh, or just go to menti.com on your computer or this works very well on your smartphone. I'd actually recommend using your smartphone and then enter the code 56011057. Either that approach or the QR code will take you to the same same set of questions. Yeah, I really like um, I really like doing this on my phone when I'm on a webinar because what will happen is that as I advance these questions and we've got about five of them here um, for you today, as I advance these questions, it'll just automatically advance on your phone. So you've got that screen for the interactions, and then you've got um, still your desktop. Oh, look at this! Everybody's getting in. We're up to fifty people already. Um, here in the Mentimeter. Um, so this is great. I think we're probably at a point where I can just go ahead and advance to the first question. And so what I'm going to do is while people are answering these questions, um, I will also, um, and by the way, Zeta, there we go. If I advance this slide and you guys um, lose track, of how to get in, Zeta has put the link um, to the mentee survey right there in the meeting chat. All right. Okay, we're at 100. That seems like a good round number. So here is the first question. Um, of the people on the call today, how many of you actually, your company does hold leaders accountable for some aspect of the employee experience? So we're gonna watch these numbers um, pop up. Wow, it's a close race. This is great. It's going I'm back really, and forth. 50-50, really yes, no. 50-50, that's awesome. So yeah, I think that, you know, maybe a lot of people are doing this, but boy, there is not a lot that's been published about it. So I think we're going to pull out some practices um, from folks here too. Um, so, and while you guys are voting, we're also going to say, going to just take a quick look at the chat here. Um, Tony Carter, I know you're, you're most certainly interested in the talent mobility and Tony, I know you're a, um, chief diversity officer, um, talent mobility and DEI initiatives are so closely intertwined. Um, and we actually offer for, for folks like Tony, who are members, an entire scorecard called quality of movement. So there's a body, the, the, the body of knowledge is quality of movement are ways to measure um, your talent mobility. And, um, and so I'll, I'll read you a few more stats while people are answering. So not only is talent mobility the most effective employee experience metric, um, but we found that, um, I, and I pull some other reports, LinkedIn's global talent trends, this is back in 2020, but the employees stay 41% longer from companies that regularly hire within. If you are good at talent mobility, wow. Employees, 41% longer. Like these are these are big numbers. Um, and then Amazon and Workforce Intelligence also did a survey and they found that um, two thirds of employees are likely to leave because there aren't enough opportunities for skills development, career advancement, or there's no way for them to transition to a different job. 
um, or to a new career path. So talent movement, talent mobility is is, is a really big one. Um, so anyway, we've got 62 of you have yes. And I had a feeling, I didn't think we'd get this many yeses. I'm delighted um, to see this. Yeah, so, it's close to, close to half. We had 70 no and 62 yes. So that's a pretty good, pretty good result. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So here's our next question. And your phone or your other screen on Mentimeter should advance automatically. So if yes, what are you tying the employee experience metrics to? Um, this is where I'll get into, while everybody's answering, I will get into some conversations about uh, that we've had with the folks who have um, dived really deep. Um, so the idea of making them part of business operations reviews, this really speaks to the eight or so of you who have said they're part of BizOps reviews. Um, that is you know, one of the most important things that you can do is really make it make it so that this isn't just an HR thing that comes around at performance review time. But hey, if I'm if I'm being held accountable for margin, et cetera, I talked to one company who said, yeah, in the operations scorecard. And so we when we set out to do this, we said, let's find out how people are being measured right now. What are the management routines? In the business operations scorecard, they actually put in the metric for theirs. The one that they chose was time that a position remains open um, because they definitely they they were finding some really strong correlations um, there. And so very specific metrics. And like I said, there's, you know, like 30 or 50 culture metrics that you can choose from. So it looks like um, voting has slowed down. Most, most of you who have said yes, it's part of performance reviews. Um, very nice to see that you've got, we've got 21 people doing it as part of BizOps reviews. 19 of you are doing it as part of bonuses or increases. And even for seven of you tied for promotions. It, boy, it's one of the mantras of culture fitness um, around here that Everyone knows if you promote the brilliant jerks. And if you promote the brilliant jerks, uh, trust goes way down. It has such a cascading effect on all of your culture metrics. So those seven of you who are tying it to promotions, well done. This is where I would like to invite people who said yes to start telling us a story in the chat. If you are at liberty to tell us anything about what your company does, how you do it, what kind of results you've seen. Um, we would love to sort of correlate this stuff, maybe even reach out to you if you're interested in a case study, um, if you've seen really good results for that. Um, so Tony already has put in the chat that you're going to be building, oh, very nice, you're gonna be building out the talent mobility work stream at Idaho National Labs. Tony, by the way, is um, representing Idaho National Labs, which is one of the organizations that we featured um, in this toolkit. You guys are already doing some amazing measurement um, and have actually seen, Tony, since, since everyone's on mute, I'll speak for you. Um, one of the things that, um, that Tony's organization won a Next Practice Award for was being able to um, hold folks account accountable for diversity metrics. And they have found in a scientific organization that the number of first time publishers of scientific research has gone way up. These by by being able to um, make sure that leaders know that employee engagement man, uh, matters, the performance of of their folks, people who might not have felt comfortable publishing a scientific paper before, now they feel comfortable doing that. And that's a huge indicator um, for a lab like yours. Uh, and I, that's such a good example, I think, Tony, of a business metric that's really specific to you, but super compelling you know, within your context. Um, so we'll see if anybody else puts their stories in the chat. Um, we'll go on with that. And I think, that's where I'm going to pause here, Tom, and we're right. going to go back to. Very good. Yeah, this was very Bye. interesting data. I think it sort of gave us a nice um, almost roadmap of that, uh, you know, the most common way 
that you're holding uh, leaders accountable for employee experience in terms of uh, integrating it with your talent processes, performance reviews, had 42 votes. For those that may be watching the recording later or the podcast version of this, can't see the data, I'll just run through it quick again. So 42 said performance reviews, uh, 23 said they're part of BizOps reviews, which again, as, as Judy emphasizes, is very critical. Um, bonuses or increases had 21 responses, uh, and then seven of you taking it so far as uh, promotion. So it sort of gives a nice roadmap what maybe the low-hanging fruit is, performance reviews, uh, and then where you can grow from there. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for remembering um, from an accessibility standpoint, the folks who are listening only. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to our slides. Uh, all right. Okay. So when we, um, to plant the flag again, what we've been talking about is the steps for building your business case. Step one was why does leader accountability matter? Step two, deciding on outcomes and metrics. Um, step three, get inspired by high-performing companies. And I promise to put more stories in your mini toolkit. Um, step four in building your business case is get a baseline. Find out how healthy your organization's culture is right now. And we're giving you just this example here that we're showing on screen is a culture assessment scorecard that I4CP has built. This ties to a lot of the measures that, that we know um, have been proven out um, in our research. And so this is, this is just one way to assess your culture, but I do think it's a critical part of the business case to be able to say, here's a snapshot here is how we view our culture health. This is what's important to us in the context of our organization. Um, and here's a baseline snapshot. All of these things I think will really help you um, to present your business case. And um, now I think we can go ahead and move on to- Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Tom. Before we do that, I'll just note um, some of the, the, you know, the values that are listed here and the bottom half of what you're seeing. Obviously, these could be tweaked for, you know, different organizations would have a different culture scorecard. Usually, it's best to try and align that as, as much as you can with your organization's values so that everything is synced up. You see at the top, the ability to filter on things like age range of individuals, gender, tenure with the organization, generation, and so on, um, because, you know, how they, how they, uh, you know, show up in each of these different areas uh, could vary from some of these different uh, filterable uh, characteristics of employees. Uh, and then in the top right, you see the, the ENPS, the Employee Net Promoter Score, in this particular sample, for those of you familiar with NPS, 70, very high result. Uh, NPS is, is sort of a, a harsh metric in terms of how it scores things. So to get something as, uh, as a positive 70 for an NPS is, is, is a very good result. So again, if you're interested in this kind of a scorecard, reach out to I4CP. Um, members have access to this kind of tool. Um, and we've seen other examples like this uh, over the years from, from other organizations as well. You know, that actually... For me, I'm, I, I suppose until December 31st, I can still consider myself a newbie to I4CP. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that I did not know about this organization um, before I joined is the extent to which we're here to serve the entire HR community, whether you're a member or not. And uh, there's a lot of research firms out there who are like, yeah, we do research, but the point of it is to sell more of our services. The point of it is to sell our technology product. And that's not to say it's not good research. It's great. You just have to like read it with a grain of salt. Um, but what has been what has been really nice for me is that what I've seen is here is that the research is here because we're a membership organization. If you're a member, we're gonna take everything from our advisory group and templatize it and give you the tools for do-it-yourself. Nobody's here to try to sell you on hiring us to do your culture renovation work, but you know we're here for the people who need help. And that in the weeds implementation helps me create better tools for everybody else. So it's a very virtuous cycle. Um, and then of course, everything that we've put in the public domain, I can package up for those of you who aren't members yet. All right, back to implementation steps. 
So there's five steps here. Once you have gotten this agreement and executive support and you've built your business case, um, step one is to make sure that your executives agree to the metrics. And this is a really good moment to just have that C-suite conversation, um, to advance the C-suite conversation about culture. Um, and then step two is to actually make sure that you're collecting the right data. This is where in our Mentimeter, um, we're going to go on to the next question. And let me share my screen. Um, and just as a reminder for folks, it should be one in the same Mentimeter. So if you kept that open, uh, you should be able to jump right back in. If you had, if you closed it, Zeta has has put as a reminder the the link in the code again. You can also use the QR code there that's on the screen. Yep, exactly. And so I knew that I had a bunch of a bunch of stuff to talk about here um, in terms of collecting the right data, and I hopefully you can all. Um, listen and watch the word cloud at the same time. But here, here's what I had a feeling was going to happen. When we see this word cloud um, popping up, the ways in which people are collecting culture data, um, the most common way is employee engagement surveys, uh, right? And for a lot of people, it's the, the annual survey. Um, as well. And you can see this, boy, this is, it's great to see all of these um, options coming in. So, um, so we have found in our work on like, what are the essential metrics of the high performance employee experience, that it is your listening program, um, that um, if you can advance your listening program, um, Ford has actually published, I believe that um, Ford was one of our Next Practice Award winners for um, their Ask, Listen, Observe approach. Ford has a really advanced employee listening program. If it's not constant, regular listening throughout the year, you are missing out. If it's just an annual survey, it is so easy for the leaders who get those survey results to find some reason to write them off, to go, oh, well, everybody was really busy at that time, or, oh, my scores went down because so-and-so was just really disgruntled, but now they've left. And so people are always looking, you know, it's a natural human cognitive bias, but people are always feeling defensive when they are presented with data that doesn't match their own opinions of themselves. So um, continuous employee listening is huge. There's also, we'll put in the, um, the uh, meeting notes for you guys, um, EW Scripps um, has a continuous listening strategy that Andy Piracello, Tom, was one of your guests, I think this year or last year. Yeah, it might have um, been last year, yeah. He shared all the details behind their strategy. Um, and so we've got that presentation, all the slides. Um, and so um, the other thing that I wanted to, to call out here in terms of effectiveness, and, and you'll probably remember this too, Tom, is that even though listening is the most common way that folks are collecting culture data, the one that is most effective is actually exit interviews and state interviews. Yeah, those are very powerful. We've had a lot of research over the years on both exit interviews and particularly stay interviews, um, which have become more popular in, in recent years. Um, seeing those uh, both, uh, you know, medium-sized font here in the word cloud. Uh, so many of you indicating those uh, as ways that you're collecting culture data in your organizations. Um, to Judy's point, also seeing pulse surveys. Um, that's something that grew in popularity over the pandemic. Uh, that really accelerated what was already the trend of moving beyond just the once a year engagement survey some companies move to twice a year, and that's fine, but then doing more regular pulse surveys. And with a pulse, you're usually just uh, pulsing a segment of your population, a representative group, might be 10% of employees or 5%, so that people don't end up getting survey fatigue with too many surveys over time. So yeah, exit interviews, stay interviews, pulse surveys. Um, seeing some other interesting things here, Judy, would love your comments on focus groups. Um, that, that's an interesting one. 360 feedback, I'm, I'm seeing several responses as well. I know I'm like, I'm like squinting at the tiny font here. Coffee cooler talk. 
weekly time card question, um, town halls, one-on-one -on -one meetings. So one of the things that I'm seeing here that, um, that ties so well into our um, research on generative AI used in HR is that the things that are done most common are the also the things where the data is easiest to crunch because we have gotten ourselves in the mode with technology of you know having been trained that if the data exists in a really open-ended way like things that were said in town hall meetings or things that were said in employee research group we've gotten ourselves in sorry employee resource groups We've gotten ourselves in the mode of thinking if we ask people open-ended questions, which is kind of like the whole point of stay interviews and exit interviews, we'll get much, much richer data, but it's harder to crunch. Until now, enter generative AI, which is actually capable of reading these huge corpuses of open-ended data. And suddenly these things that have been really hard to track become doable. Um, so, so I think that one of the most strategic uses of generative AI um, for HR folks is exactly what we are talking to today, how to get richer, deeper data on what is really going on in our culture by being able to mine um, those things that aren't closed ended questions, but where we are, you know, that's why we get these anecdotal gut feelings about what our culture is really like. But in order to prove that to the folks who resist believing that this is our culture, you know, generative AI can really help you come up with actual proof points. Yeah, it goes um, way beyond the, the sentiment analysis of, of just a few years ago. Um, it, it, it really is something the, the way the technology has matured. Um, so thank you for that, uh, walking us through that, that sort of interactive moment again with Menti. We will make sure that the top responses, the most interesting ones, there were obviously some duplications as there always are with, with open answer questions. But uh, when, we, when we archive the recording of this call, we'll make sure that a, a good amount of that data that you just saw is shared in, in the notes there as well. Absolutely. And I'll put in a screenshot of this word cloud as well. Um, so, Tom, we are almost done with the implementation steps. And while you, um, oh, you did bring up the slides, it, they just keep moving into my monitor number three. Okay. So, step one, get executive agreement to the metrics. Step two, collect the right data. Step three, give leaders access to their metrics. Um, we, and um, Zeta, I believe, has a link to the Sherm article in which MasterCard, um, it's a really nice in-depth article about their culture dashboard, which is sort of also our culture dashboard, um, and but it's MasterCard, MasterCard's version um, of it. And so great article in the public domain. Um, the biggest lesson that I can tell you here, and we hear this over and over again, is that once you're collecting the data, people have to have time to get used to what their numbers are. Um, and, and one of the um, chief HR officers we talked to um, was absolutely adamant, having had like years of experience with this accountability. He said, give them a full year because think about the change management involved here. If you just tell people all of a sudden they're accountable, they're just going to push back on HR. They're going to come up with any excuse that they can come up with because they're afraid of getting, you know, a lower bonus. They're afraid of not getting that promotion. You don't want this to be a fear-based exercise. So a full year gives folks time to integrate these metrics into the business ops processes. Give folks a chance to improve, a chance to see, oh, over the last four quarters, here's how my scores um, have improved or not. And then that leads us, Tom, to step four in implementation. Again, before you hold people accountable, help leaders improve. Give them ways to make their skills better. And for heaven's sake, you know, it's not just we sent them to training. 
um, about it. And so again, we're at this inflection point with um, the scalability of ways to improve people's performance that I wanted to do our final Mentimeter here. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen one last time. Boom, 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 boom. One more time, if we can have everyone interact with us uh, over at Mentimeter, same link, same code as before. All right, so you know, well, Tom, both and I, both Tom and me in our practitioner careers, we come from the learning and development space and we're just <laughs> absolutely adamant about it's performance improvement. It's not training. Um, and so, you know, training leaders once and calling it done, it, I, it, I can't believe it's 2023 and this still happens. Um, but when we talk about um, really helping managers improve and the fact that manager, by the way, I'm, it's pretty easy to predict this one, but I predict that manager and leader effectiveness is going to rise to um, one of our top trends. Um, and when we do our 2024 predictions, we've just, we've been seeing it all year long. Um, you heard it here. This is my completely non-scientific prediction. Judy, 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 going out on a limb with a prediction for 2024. Uh, we, we, every year we poll our six uh, executive level HR boards uh, on their priorities and predictions. And we just did that survey of them recently. That'll feed into our priorities and predictions report, which will come out for member for everyone in December. And I'm sure we'll share some of the results here on Next Practices Weekly early in the new year. And yeah, I have to agree with you that uh, I think manager effectiveness, leader effectiveness, uh, that that's going to be near the top of the list of what people are focusing on. Yeah, um, our, our members at Kaiser Permanente shared with us, and this is where I have to check and see what's in the public domain, but they actually came up with an entire manager playbook for a culture of health and well-being. And of course, they're a healthcare company. They're about health and well-being. And I love how we can look to um, look to the folks who are in the business of things like helping an entire employee workforce get better for really good examples. But I've been on Kaiser's public website and there is a tremendous amount of really great stuff there um, for improving the well-being of your employees. That's just one example. I'm happy to see um, here in the um, results how many of you are talking about coaching, are talking about metrics, tracking actions. Um, look at all of these coachings. This is great. I'm just now scrolling very, very slow. Yeah, a lot of, lot of examples of, of people saying coaching, but also some specific types like coaching circles, getting training on how to be a better coach. Um, yeah. Oh, this is brilliant. A leadership dashboard with employee experience data. All right. Amazing dashboard. This is what I'm talking about, folks. This is performance improvement. Yeah. Peer coaching, not just coaching mm -hmm. from, uh, you know, professionals in the L&D or OD department or maybe their manager or skip level uh, leader above them, but peer coaching as well. Holy moly. So, um, so by the way, um, everyone can get um, the Mentimeter results. So I will attach to the meeting notes the PDF from all of this because my goodness, look, I keep scrolling and scrolling and there are really amazing um, ideas here. I'm also going to run these through my generative AI virtual assistant and come up with the, the themes um, in your results. Um, but speaking of generative AI, once again, the thing that we hear about coaching over and over is that it's super effective. It's proven to be really effective. It's not scalable. It's really, really hard. You want to be able to give everyone a coach. And with generative AI, and we just talked about this last month in one of our, we talked about it in our leadership development exchange. So it was a group of members that came together. Um, and I'll add, because so many of you said coaching, I will add to the toolkit from this webinar, um, some of the resources that we came up with in terms hey, of... <laughs> <laughs> um, Hello, whoever said good morning. Um, and so, uh, yeah, well, I will come up with some resources that are out in the public domain about ways in which generative, a generative AI 
coach can actually be used to give leaders a safe place to just try things out. Like, I think I'm going to say this to Tom um, and uh, and how do I think he's going to respond? You can actually try these things out. I've used generative AI um, and, it, it, you know, we all have different models. Um, so I'm very familiar with the Crucial Conversations model, which a lot of you are familiar with. Um, I'm learning about clear leadership, which my which my colleague Colleen um, taught me. And for both of these models, I went to my um, my chat GPT, my virtual assistant, and this is all stuff in the public domain. I wasn't sharing anything, but I said in the style of crucial conversations can you write me a coaching script for this specific scenario um, and it was amazing um, how how good those suggested words were um, because they're pulling from the public domain so we don't have time today in fact this is our last mentimeter um, and this really brings us to our wrap up and time for um, some q a um, if we do have time for that but um, let's tom go here we go back to the slides so just to remind you all we promise a mini toolkit um, we promise that you will get um, a mini toolkit as part of these meeting notes. If you are a member of I4CP and Zena, Zeta has put in the, um, the link to our toolkit, you actually get like the full toolkit. Um, so not just the meeting notes, but you get all the you know, all this stuff. And these these are really meant to just be a web page that you can come back to again and again, rather than kind of burying our stuff into a 50 page PDF. Um, so anyway, you guys will all get access to this stuff. Um, these are our steps. Once again, you don't hold leaders accountable for the employee experience until you've done the work. Um, and so much of this work is um, systemic. It will feed your culture renovation in many, many ways. It will build trust. And, and these are the steps that make sure that you don't try to implement a next practice in a way that actually lowers trust because um, it can be risky to rush into rush into some of this stuff. Yeah, in particular, Judy, when, when you yeah. mentioned the the one year time frame, uh, you got you got some folks in the chat that were chiming in with thumbs up or hearts uh, agreeing with that. Um, makes a lot of sense. We should probably do that with a lot of practices. Give people time uh, to to come around to them. I'm I'm a big fan of the quote that uh, involving people in the process along the way, training them at the appropriate steps. Uh, famous line, I, I think, from Dale Carnegie was that people support a world that they help to create. And so if you can bring them along the process um, and you know even involve them in it, uh, in this case, say over a one-year time before just abruptly tying their promotions, their bonuses as leaders uh, to, to this new expectation, uh, I, I, think, I think you're spot on. Mm. We're getting some fabulous comments um, from Jane, my friend Jane, hey, thanks so much about how group coaching can also be really powerful. We weren't calling that out um, in the results. And so we're going to have to we're going to have to have lunch, Jane, and talk some more about group coaching, because um, that I don't think that's something that we've written much about um, for case studies. And so any of the rest of you who've got a practice to share, reach out to Tom or me, reach out to um, your I4CP representative if you know who that is. Um, we would love to hear more from you um, and would certainly love to support you further with some of these specific questions um, that you have. And yeah, it, it really, it all ties together. Um, we actually, um, so many of you are asking about our chat GPT um, tool. Tom and I did one of these next practices weekly on what every HR leader should know about generative AI. Um, and so we'll tie these two things um, together because it, it really all, it's, it's very systemic. Even though we research specific topics, when you pull it all together, there's this combination of being able to focus on culture, the difference that it makes to the business, and then using technology to enable us to do strategic things that we never thought were possible. Yeah, and to do them at, at, at much greater scale, more consistency, root out bias, et cetera. If you're interested in that particular session, like all Next Practice Weekly, 
calls. They're available in the call archive at i4cp.com. So I'd encourage folks, uh, if you're new to this series or maybe you just missed a few, go back and check the archive and, and see which episodes uh, might be of interest to you. Um, I'm looking at the time here, Judy. I think uh, I think this is a good good place to wrap. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for sharing, dropping so much knowledge on us in terms of the you know what this is, why it matters, why this next practice uh, is so critical. The data initially was great, and then the steps, the step by step walkthrough, the business case, uh, and the implementation steps, super helpful for everyone. You're getting a lot of kudos over in the chat. So thank you, Judy. This has been great. My pleasure. Couple of things just to wrap up with. Um, these calls, Next Practices Weekly, each week are available for recertification credit hours with both HRCI and SHRM. So if you have a cert from either of those organizations and need your research credit hours, just jot down the relevant program ID or activity ID. Uh, we always set you up with that. And then lastly, I want to note for folks, again, especially those of you that maybe are new to the I4CP community, we hold an annual in-person conference that we call Next Practices Now. It's in March of each year. It'll be late March uh, in 2024, March 25th through the 28th. It's always held in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is a great location that time of year for those of us like myself that are coming from colder climates. It's great to escape sometime in March to somewhere as warm as that. We hold it at the Fairmont Princess, which is a great, great property. You see here a lineup of some of the speakers that we'll have in 2024. We've got a nice mix of book authors and thought leaders. We have CEOs, we have CHROs and other senior HR leaders from great organizations, companies like IBM, Citibank, Microsoft, CPSI, and many others. So uh, if you if you are interested in this, uh, check us out at i4cp.com forward slash conference. We've got the full agenda now posted. We've got uh, information on how to register, uh, information about accommodations. More information will still be coming. We're still filling out a few gaps in the agenda, but uh, this is this is sort of the all-star lineup that we've announced thus far. We'd love to have you and some of your team members join us for this for this great event. With that, I'm going to uh, sign off at this point. Thank you, Zeta. Thank you, Judy. A great event once again. Come back again next week, same time, always on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific. Uh, great to have everyone with us. And thank you to the participants for engaging with us today on using the Mentimeter tool. We've got a lot of great insights. So thanks, everyone, and have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.